Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Hey, LifePoint. I hope you enjoyed uh, watching that video clip there. Just to give you a little bit of a picture of what's happening uh, at our outdoor services, uh, you know, as it pertains to the kids. And maybe you haven't uh, attended one of the services yet. And I know there's different reasons. Some of, uh, some of you aren't able to or aren't comfortable in this season. We totally get that, and we're all good with that. But some of you, maybe after watching that, you know, you have kids, you say, you know what, we can go. And uh, the kids who are there, they're having an incredible time. And, and uh, I even talked to some families today, this morning, who were talking about how it's different uh, having their kids there and not having, you know, class and everything. But, but it's, they've really grown to appreciate it as a family. So I just encourage you, give it some consideration. Maybe come out and join us uh, this next Sunday uh, at 8.30. I know it's a little bit early, but uh, come join us and uh, be a part of the service. No matter who you are, we'd love to have you if you're able or, or if you're comfortable doing that. If not, no worries, and we'll keep doing this online service for you because we love to do that as well. Hey, uh, Derek mentioned it. We're in this series uh, looking at this tabernacle, this, this tabernacle that God gave instructions to Moses to give to the Israelites to build. This was God designed, God created. It was, it was 75 feet wide. It was 150 feet long, and, and it was enclosed with curtains and uh, that God had specific, uh, specifications on. And then inside, there's a 15-foot by 45-foot building called the Holy Place. And the question is, why did God instruct Moses to have the people build a tabernacle? What was the point of that? Well, God wanted his chosen people to know he's always present. He's always available to them. And so we are looking at this Jewish tabernacle, and we're studying this because God wants to send a very clear message to us, and it gives us great insight of how he wants to connect to us, how he wants to relate to us. Because God, the reality is God wants to have a close, dynamic, intimate, thriving relationship with you. Not just to, you know, say, hey, I believe in God, but he wants to have this close relationship with you and I. So we want to look more into this. Let me real quick recap uh, for those who maybe haven't been with us. And if you have, hopefully this is a refresher course. You're going to enter into this tabernacle through the east gate or the east curtain. It's the only way to get in. And the first item that you would come to, if anybody remembers, maybe type it in. It was the bronze brazen what? Bronze brazen altar, right? And when we come to this altar, whenever we're going to come before God, the first thing God wants us to do is to come acknowledging, hey, God, I recognize that I've sinned. I've sinned against you, and I desire to be close to you. I desire to be right with you, and so I want my sins forgiven. And so God said this, I want you to come to this altar, and I want you to bring to me your first and your best, your first animals, your best animals, your first fruits, the best of what you have to offer, and I want you to give that here as a sacrifice. And that sacrifice would die in your place for your sins. Now, thankfully for you and I as Christians, we no longer have to bring animals every time we sin. We don't have to offer a sacrifice like that. And I'm real thankful for that. I hope you are as well. And we know the reason why. And what is that? That Jesus was the final sacrifice, that he died for our sins. And so the moment you and I accept in faith, that, that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. And the moment we accept that, the moment we're born again, the Bible talks about, we're saved, our sins are forgiven, and we can enter in to a relationship with God. Now, 
What does that altar experience look like now today for you and I? Uh, what, what does God have that look like for us? Well, first of all, we know that God still wants us come, to come and acknowledge our sin, to confess our sins. First John 1 John 1.9 says he wants us to come and confess our sins. And when we do that, he's faithful and just. He forgives us of our sin. He cleanses us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. But also, what else? Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul mentions in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, in light of what Jesus has done for us on the cross as a final sacrifice for our sins, that we now come to God and we present to him our lives as a living sacrifice. So now our own lives are living sacrifices back to God. In other words, we live for him rather than ourselves. Well, after you do that at the bronze brazen altar, you would come to what item next? We looked at this last week. Anybody know? That was the laver. That was the laver. And at the laver, it was a place where you would examine yourself. You would look at yourself and, and ask the questions, God, am I really living a set-apart life for you? Am I really living a life as a living sacrifice for you? Or am I really just fooling myself? James chapter 4, verse 8 uses labor language for us, and it says this. It says to wash your hands, because that's what happens. It was water, and you wash. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Why? For your loyalty is divided between God and man. Type that in, divided. Type that in. Say it out loud, divided. So God doesn't want our loyalty divided. So at the labor, we come and we wash ourselves and we cleanse ourselves and purify us from that divided, uh, that dividedness that's inside of our heart. And so we recommit to living 100% for God because we want nothing more than to draw close to him. We want to be clean so that we can be close to a holy God. After the labor, you would proceed forward, and in front of you was this beautiful 15-foot wide by 45-foot deep structure called the Holy Place. It had four roof coverings on it, or layers, if you will, that made up the roof. The walls of this holy place were made of acacia wood that were wrapped or overlaid with pure gold. Now, this holy place was divided into two rooms. The front room was 15 feet wide by 30 feet deep, and it contained three items that were made of pure gold or of acacia wood that was overlaid with gold. You had the golden lampstand. You had the, the altar of incense, and you had the table of showbread, which we're talking about today. Now, beyond that was a 15-foot by 15-foot room that, that was called the Holy of Holies. And some of you know it's contained in there, right? It's the Ark of the Covenant. So as you would enter into that, that big room, the 15 by 30-foot room, you would walk in. You would turn to your right, and there to your right was the table of showbread. It was... 36 inches long. It was 18 inches, you know, deep or, or wide, and it was 27 inches high. It was made of acacia wood, and it was overlaid with pure gold. Now, on this table were two stacks of six loaves of bread or two rows of six pieces of bread in each row. And the reason we don't know for sure is because scholars uh, are, are unsure of the exact Hebrew word. It could, be, it could mean either or, though most people generally, pictures and even today, people assume it's kind of the six uh, or the two stacks of six. Now, each of those loaves, there's 12 loaves, they represented something, right? Because around the tabernacle were what? The 12 tribes of Israel. 
The loaves of bread were exchanged every Sabbath, and then the priests would eat them. Frankincense was burned in gold dishes that were placed on top of the stack or, or, uh, uh, you know, of the loaves or on, the, on each loaf, depending on the interpretation. The dishes, bowls, and spoons were all made of pure gold. Now, this table of showbread was also referred to something else as something else in Scripture. It was called the, the bread of the presence, or more literally, the place of his face, or the, God saying the place of my face, or the bread of my face. Now, what was God's message to us through this table of showbread? God was sending a very clear message. He was saying, I, because when we think of bread and table and all that, we think of this idea. God's saying, I want to come and I want to be with you. I want to meet with you. And bread is symbolic representative saying, I want to provide for you. In fact, I want to provide for your daily needs. The bread was out on the table daily. Now, when Jesus arrives on the scene, he takes all the image of the entire tabernacle. Today we're looking at show, the table of showbread. He takes the image, he takes the imagery, he takes the symbolism, and he brings clarity to what the significance is of the table of showbread for you and I today. Let me set the scene for you. We're going to look at John chapter 6. You can go on your phone to the YouVersion Bible app, track along with us there, or just look up John 6. And, and let me give the scene. So we have 5,000 men who have gathered to hear Jesus. Plus, the Bible says, plus women and children. So we have a crowd of, you know, 8, 10, 12, 15,000 people. They've been with Jesus all day. It's late. The people are hungry. Nobody brought food with them. They didn't realize this was going to go so long. Turns out there's only one person who has prepared a little boy scout, a little boy. So he came with five loaves and two fish. Jesus takes those five loaves and two fish, and, and we know, some of you know the miracle. He multiplies that so that every single person, all 8, 10, 12, 15,000 people are fed. They have as much as they want, and there's baskets and baskets full left over. That night, Jesus heads out with his disciples. The next day, people are, are wanting more of Jesus, and they see this miracle, and they're like, man, we want more. And so they go looking for Jesus. They finally find Jesus and the disciples. And that's where we want to pick up the story, John chapter 6. And it tells us this. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I what? What does it say? Say that or type that in. Because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. You see, you sought me only because I was able to meet your physical needs. In other words, you're only thinking about the temporary. You're only thinking about the here and now, the immediate. But Jesus is saying, I have so much more for you. You've missed out on what really matters. He goes on in John chapter 6, verse 27. He says, Jesus, Jesus say, sit talking, he says, But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Instead, notice what Jesus says, spend your, and what's the next word? Type it in. I want everybody to type that in or say it out loud. Spend your, what is it? Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man gives you. You see, Jesus understood something. And he understood so much of our time and our energy is spent on the temporary. Spent on Things that in the end ultimately just aren't going to matter. Spent on things that ultimately 
aren't going to, they'll feed our physical body, but they won't feed and nourish our heart or our soul. So Jesus says, pour out your lives, spend your energy investing in what was the word, in eternal items, in things that have an eternal difference. Jesus says in another passage, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all those temporary things that we tend to think about and worry about, Jesus says, you seek my kingdom first, I'll take care of all those temporary things. He goes on, John chapter 6, verse 28, they replied, we want to perform God's work too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Now, this word believe is very important because sometimes we see in the Bible, it says, hey, you believe in Jesus, you can go be saved. What does believe actually mean? Well, we know from scripture, as you look through the totality of scripture, we know belief isn't just mental assent. The, Bible, the scriptures tell us that even the demons believe, they know it's true, they know Jesus is the son of God. Even the demons believe, but they shudder. Their lives, their behaviors don't change. New Testament belief in Jesus simply means this. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That would be the simplest definition you could come with. I'll come up with, I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that surrender is evidenced in the way that I live my life, that my life looks different than the world around me. And that out of my love for God, that I would do the work of God. That's what believe is. John chapter 6, verse 30, Jesus goes on. Or, or they go on, they, they answered, Jesus, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to, and what's the word? If you want us to believe in you. What can you do? All right, give us some proof here that, you, you know, we, we should follow you. After all, our ancestors ate manna, that, you know, bread, while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, hey, Jesus, what you're saying is new information for us. You're going to give, you're neither going to need to give us a little bit more here if you want us to believe. Because remember, believe, we understand it's not just mental assent, it's surrender. And so if you're going to want us to believe, uh, and that's a lot at stake for us. I mean, if you want us to get focused on eternal things rather than just everything I see and temporary, I'm going to need a little more from you, Jesus. So in verse 32, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. In other words, you guys got it wrong in the first place. You need to know God was always a provider. It was always God. And now God offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Again, Jesus is saying, you guys are all missing it. I could give you physical bread again and again and again, but you'll keep being hungry. I want to take you to the depths of actually what truly matters and, and, and I want to take you to the place where I, I, you're not going to be so focused on me, you know, trying to perform some miracle, some trick for you. So I, I'm not some magical genie that's just going to meet your temporary physical needs. Man, I want to do something that blows you away. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be so close to you, so connected to you, that you will have your deepest needs met. Your deepest desires met, not just a temporary filling. You missed, Jesus was saying, 
what it means to be at the table of showbread, to be at the table of God's presence, to be at the place of God's face. You missed on what it really means to literally feast on God. And so now they're thinking, well, if this true bread actually is going to give us life and not just be a temporary thing. Notice verse 34, John chapter 4. They said, give us bread. What does it say? Give us bread when? Every day. And so Jesus replied to their, to their response. They kind of figured it out a little bit. And Jesus said, okay, you're, you're catching it. You know you need this eternal thing every day. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be, notice the word, what does it say? Write it, type it out, type it out, say it out loud. Whoever comes to me will never be what? Will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Notice the promise. Jesus says, if you come to me, you are never going to experience hunger again. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, there is no way that I could actually do a sermon that talks about bread without bringing up my bread issues, all right? There's no way I could do that. And so let me just get a few things out of the way here. First of all, there is no way I am ever doing a no-carb diet. Somebody type in an amen, right? Come on, right now. I'm not doing a no-carb diet. I'm not doing some keto diet and, you know, you got to be in ketosis. No, man, I want breadosis, right? I want breadosis. Some of you are like, man, Chris, you're missing it. Listen, I, I was reading this article about, about nutrition, and here's what it said. It said, carbs are your body's primary source of food. Excuse me, your primary source of energy. They're found in grains, beans, legumes, fruits, vegetables, whatever, milk, yogurt, pasta, ready for this? Baked goods and, what does it say? Bread. Bread, baby. Bread. Turn to someone. If you're with somebody, turn to them right now and say, bread, baby, bread. Come on, say it. Bread, baby, bread. The article goes on and says, therefore, someone on a no-carb diet must avoid most of these foods and instead eat foods that contain primarily protein or fat, such as meats, fish, eggs, cheese, oils, and butter. <laughs> For the record, the, the holy place contained the table of what? The table of showbread. It wasn't the table of eggs, right? It wasn't the table of fish. See, I got to tell you, man, there is nothing more amazing than warm, homemade bread. Come on, let me get an amen right there in the chat. Warm, homemade bread. It's the absolute best. Now, some of you know me. I kind of talk about this kind of stuff every once in a while. Some of you are like, hey, wait a second, Pastor. I thought your favorite was good homemade chocolate chip cookies. That's my other favorite, right? That's my, that's my other favorite. As the article listed, baked goods are also another primary source of energy. So, man, I need my homemade baked chocolate chip cookies for my energy, and I need my bread. Somebody's agreeing with me. I know that, right? Come on, somebody, somebody agree with me. Type it in. I agree. I agree. All right, back to the message. But here's the point. Bread 
was an important image that God used because everybody understands the many layers and nuances and what it means and the, the pictures of what's involved with it. And so Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. It was powerful imagery. Jesus said, I'm what's going to give your life. What, what do carbs do? They give you, it's the primary source of what? Energy. I am what is going to give your life energy. I am what is, what is going to give your life meaning and purpose and substance and flavor and satisfaction. The psalmist says in Psalm 1611, in your presence, God, there is the fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He says, I want you to come to the place in your relationship with me that the joys never end. That pleasures, that they're incredible for you where you can feast and where you can fellowship and where you can be truly, genuinely excited about your relationship with God. So let me ask you, do you truly know that type of joy? Do you truly experience God in such a way that all the things that you have sought in life, you say none of that compares to being in a close relationship with God. None of that compares to feasting on God, to being in the presence of God. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He also said in John 10, chapter, verse 10, he said, I want to give you a full life, an abundant life. See, Jesus wants us feasting. He wants us full and he wants us satisfied. But that can only truly happen if we're seeking that in Jesus, seeking to be in his presence. Here's the challenge for you and I. What Jesus offers us is incredibly rich. It's incredibly life-giving and satisfying and life-sustaining. And yet, you and I get caught up and wrapped up in all that is temporary. We get caught up in the physical, meeting our physical needs, just like the Israelites were going after. Give me, God, a miracle that fulfills my momentary desires. Think about it this way. If you have ever been deeply hungry, and I'm talking deeply hungry, not just you skipped a meal, but maybe you've gone for even days without food. If, that, if you've been in that situation, you know that there comes a point where you know if you don't meet that need, that hunger, you're going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And ultimately, of course, we would die, right? Food is the only remedy for our hunger. Uh, maybe some of you have watched the TV show Survivor. Uh, uh, one of my favorite shows. I love that. And, and the goal is to be the sole survivor, win a million dollars. And they do these games, these challenges, in which uh, people can uh, lose, and then teams would, uh, a team would lose, and you get voted off. One of the players would get voted off. And so you didn't want to ever lose one of these challenges because you didn't want to go have the opportunity to get voted off. And as, this, as, as you get later into the season, because it's over 30 days uh, that you need to go, uh, and basically they have little food, and they get into the later challenges, and here's what Jeff Probst does. He offers everybody before the challenge, if you want to skip the challenge, if you want to not do the challenge and, and you know, run the risk of getting voted out and losing a million dollars, if you'd like to skip the ch challenge, you can and I will give you this food. It's amazing to me how many people sit out of challenges, 
just so that they can feed themselves because they're why? They're, they're what? They're hungry. They're so hungry, they're willing to lose out on a million dollars. The, the first, uh, you know, survivor food challenge was actually found back in the Bible in the Old Testament. You might know what it is, right? The story of Jacob and Esau. Esau, the scriptures tell, tell us, sold his birthright to Jacob, worth much more than a million dollars. Sold it to Jacob because he was hungry and he wanted a bowl of stew. And so this is a powerful idea here to satisfy our hunger. And oftentimes we'll do whatever it takes to satisfy that. Listen, each one of us has built into our very DNA a hunger for God, a soul hunger for God. God is the only remedy for our soul hunger. The problem is we try to satisfy that soul hunger, that craving with the temporary bread of life. And we'll try to satisfy that in all sorts of ways. For some, it's, you know, we, we might seek after, you know, the thrill of life, the adventures of life. For some, we're, we'll pursue that, soul, that satisfaction or that, that, that hunger. We'll try to pursue it through, you know, substances of, uh, you know, substance abuse maybe, whether, whether it's alcohol or whether it's drugs or, or even food itself. For some, we try to satisfy that hunger with material possessions or what material possessions offer us. If I get that, I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. For some of us, we try to satisfy that hunger by saying, if I get that position, that promotion, I'll be satisfied. If I get that status, I'll be satisfied. If I get a certain amount of money so that I can, I'll be satisfied. For some, they're like, I know it'll satisfy. I get 100,000 subscribers to my YouTube channel or half a million subscribers, or if I get 1 million views, then I'll be satisfied. Listen, all of that is temporary and it never fully and finally satisfies. All of that pursuit is temporary and never fully and finally satisfies. One of the biggest scams of the devil is he's going to whisper in our ears and he's going to tell you and I, you will never know if that's true, that it's temporary and never fully and finally satisfies. He says, you'll never know that's true unless you figure it out for yourself. So go after it. But anyone who has gone before us, who has pursued satisfaction and fulfillment in the physical in some capacity, including an entire book of the Bible written about it, Ecclesiastes, they all say the same things. The drugs didn't satisfy, the fame, the wealth, the stuff, the possessions, the vacations, the fame, the position. I've had it all. I tried to attain it. But at the end of the day, I still had the need, the deepest needs and the deepest desires in my heart. None of it fully satisfied. It's futile. It's meaningless. It leaves us empty and still longing for something else. And yet we want to see for ourselves, right? We want to try it out for ourselves. You need to understand God created you for himself. And your heart will stay restless. It will not be satisfied. Your heart will stay restless until you find your rest in him. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the only answer to God's soul hunger that he put inside of you. 
He's your bread of life. He's your source of nourishment and encouragement and strength. He's the one who sustains. He's the one who fulfills our deepest longings, our deepest desires. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians, God's faithful. And he's called you into fellowship with his son, that fellowship. In other words, God has called you to the table of his presence. You have the opportunity to enjoy him. You have the privilege to feast on Jesus. And that feasting is an invitation daily. Again, the table of showbread, there's 12 loaves and they are out on the table every single day. God was saying, this is a daily invitation to be in my presence for me to meet your deepest needs. So I wanna ask a question for you and spend the next few minutes as we wrap up this today. What does it look like to feast on Jesus daily? as our daily bread, to be in fellowship with his, the Son, to be in communion with the Son. I just want to give you a couple practical tips here. There's no surprises to what I'm going to say, but it's the key to having our deepest longings, our deepest desires met, to be in an intimate, dynamic, thriving, vibrant relationship with God. So how do we get there? How do we feast on Jesus as our daily bread, uh, as, our, as our, he's the bread of life, and feast on him daily? Let me give it to you like this. First of all, Jesus is the word of God. Scriptures tell us. So the primary way that you and I feast on Jesus and with Jesus is through God's word. But here's what I know. It's just not the habit of so, so many of us. And I don't want to beat you up about that. God doesn't want to beat you up with that. I know it's not our habit, but how about this? How about we start? How about we make it a habit? So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Just one chapter a day. Just one chapter a day. And, and, and think about this. Think of reading God's word. Don't think about the whole thing and, oh, I got to read God's word and I got to fit it in. No, no. Think about it as a habit that you develop. Just one chapter a day. Think about it, doing it as a habit. Now, What's the best way to make something a habit? We've talked about it before. The best way to make something a habit is to make it easy and make it obvious. Make it easy, make it obvious. Say it to someone around you or type it in. Make it easy, make it obvious. And that starts with picking a time and a place. If you try to squeeze it in, I'm just telling you, it doesn't work. You've already probably figured that out. Your time and your place will most likely be a before. It'll most likely be before. So, before you check your social media, read one chapter. Before you make breakfast, I'm just going to read a chapter. Before, pick your before. You say, I'm always in a rush to get out of the house. I don't have time in the morning. No worries. You get in the car, head to work. Before you turn on the radio. Before you make a phone call, you listen to the Bible app. Some of you can't do your before until lunch break. No worries. Sit down. Before I physically eat my lunch, I'm going to read a chapter. Maybe for some of you, it's not till you get home. No worries. It's before I watch television. Maybe you have kids and it's, you're spending the evening with the kids and, and after you put them to bed. So then it's before you, you watch TV or it's before you sit with your spouse. Make it easy. Make it obvious. Pick your before and God will speak to you through his word. But also feasting on Jesus is you speaking to him. We call it prayer, but prayer just sounds so official. Feasting on Jesus is speaking to him. And here's what I want to give you, something simple and easy. If you will develop the habit of just reading one chapter today, a day, here's what you then do. You talk to Jesus. You talk to God about what you just read. 
That's what I want to encourage you to do. It would be so easy for you. You start by asking God, God, show me the truth of your word. Speak to me, God, through your word. Speak truth into my life. You read the chapter, and then you just talked about to God what he showed you, how that lines up with your life or how it doesn't line up with your life. You read something, you go, oh my goodness, that's exactly how I want to live my life. God, I'm committing this week, today, to live for you in this way. God, give me the strength to live for you in this way. Pray that into your life. I'd encourage you, as you're going through and you're feasting on Jesus through the, his word, and then you just talk back to him about what you're reading and what he's showing you. How about you jot it down? And, and, and jot down what you read. Put it in a journal of some sort. Put it in some notes. Maybe some of you, you share what God is showing you to another person. Just send out a text or an email to them. Hey, in just one sentence, right? Hey, here's what God showed me today. What you send to them might be an encouragement to them. God speaks to you through his word. You speak back to him. And we call that prayer. Man, when that happens... You find yourself saying, man, I'm eating at the table of showbread. I'm feasting on Jesus. I'm fellowshipping with Christ. I'm being nourished and strengthened by him. It really isn't rocket science, but it's what God's called us to. This is how we begin to experience the incredible presence of God. The key is inviting him into your daily life. He wants to be your daily bread. He's the one who gives you the energy. He's the one who gives you the strength. He's the one who replenishes you and, and gives you the energy. If you do it Jesus' way, he'll meet your daily needs and you will find fulfillment and satisfaction. But if you try to do it your way, you will find that you're always seeking, you're never satisfied on the temporary pleasures. So Jesus said it this way. He said in Revelation 13, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him. That's showbread, showbread language right there. Jesus saying, I want to share life with you. I want to be close to you. But the question is, do we want to be close to him? Do we want to feast on him? He's the only one who will satisfy us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come before you now. And we recognize and acknowledge Jesus is the bread of life. So, Jesus, we want to feast on you. We want to open your word. And, and God, for, those of, for me, God, for those of us or anyone who says it's not a habit, just tell God, God, it hasn't been my habit. I want to make it a habit. So I just want to start reading one chapter a day. I want to feast on your word. I want to be in your presence. God, I want to talk to you about what I read. God, I pray that somehow, some way, that that message today is what people who are watching, listening needed to hear. And that we enter into your presence. And that you are the one who satisfies and sustains. Oh God, I so desire that for our church, for your church. That we're seeking you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thank you for this imagery of the table of showbread to know that you're available, that you're there and you want to meet with us. This week, God, we're going to come to the table and meet with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. 
You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.